a time of so much information, but so little understanding. A time of so many opinions, but so little truth. We need wisdom. God loves when we seek it. God gives when we seek it. If God exists, the most foolish thing we could do is to live as if he didn't. The wisest thing we could do is to learn all we can about God and then respond to him rightly. J.I. Packer was a professor at Regent College in Vancouver. He wrote the Christian classic, Knowing God. He said, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. A.W. Tozer, the pastor and powerful writer, if you've never read one of his works, I encourage you to do it. It'll fire you up. He wrote in The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. These two spiritual giants wanted to emphasize that what we think about God is supremely important. And here's the beautiful thing about walking through the book of Proverbs. It gives us wisdom. We've defined that as God's perspective, and it includes God's perspective on himself. Today we're going to walk through some of the verses at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 16. If you have a Bible, electronic device has a Bible on it, I invite you to join me there. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then we're going to navigate our way back and forth as this proverb teaches us about God. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Much of what we've just heard in these verses in Proverbs 16 point us to the concept we call the sovereignty of God. The fact that God rules and reigns. He's in control. He is the final answer, and we are not. Now, many Christians, most Christians, believe in the sovereignty of God, but sometimes I wonder if we've just assumed that belief and we haven't thought deeply about what it really means so that it settles in our heart with a deep conviction that influences our life. This is so important, as A.W. Tozer said. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, such as, hey, I believe in sovereignty, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And Proverbs 16 wants to drill into us and with repetition, remind us, have it go deep into our heart, the sovereignty of God. We begin in verse four. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is creator. He's the maker of all things. And as such, he has the right to rule over his universe. Everything owes its existence to him. Raw materials, life itself itself. 
owes its existence to God. And I can't help but think about creation and think about God's power. I mean, he spoke the sun, moon, stars came into existence. Try looking at the sun. No, actually, don't look at the sun. It's too powerful, and yet that is just one little part of God's creation that he simply commanded, and it came into being. Scientists recognize the intricacies of our environment. How did that happen? We as human beings, we, we mess things up, and yet where did our environment exist in, in, in this harmony and, and togetherness in the first place? Proverbs tells us he has made everything for its purpose. In Proverbs chapter 8, it talks about how wisdom was there with God in the creation of all things. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. God, through wisdom, created our world to be a home, an habitation for mankind. It's created with such complexity and beauty. This summer, if you can just slow down and, and take some time to look at the creation around you, you'll be astonished. It's an amazing reflection of an all-wise God who created all things with purpose and design, including you and me. He has made everything for its purpose, including the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, the last part of this verse, it might be so easy to take it in a way I don't think it's intended. It could be taken to seem that God has created the wicked, like he's made them for his purposes. But I think there's a better way to understand this. I mean, after all, so many Proverbs talk about how God hates sin and he hates wickedness. I mean, why would God create something that he loathes? And how could God judge something that's wicked and evil if he himself created him to be that way and they're just simply carrying out his purpose? No, it's best to understand that everything will come to its intended outcome. So we know when the world was created that the original human couple, that they rebelled against God and, and they wrote into God's story of creation, sin and evil. But that evil will not prevent God's purposes. And in the end, evil will get its right due. God will make everything right. As the Good News translation puts it, everything the Lord has made has its destiny. And the destiny of the wicked is destruction. So God plans, God purposes, and nothing, not evil itself, can stop what he plans and purposes to do. We read in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Nothing can stop him. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel the pressure of culture that seems to be building momentum against, against the Christian faith. Recently, I, I saw how one of our provincial political parties had advertised in a Christian magazine and the media totally chastised them for that. I mean, how could you advertise in a magazine that, that reinforces, that, that values traditional marriage? Think God's design. It seems like everything needs to be tolerated except that which is Christian. 
And if you've been reading along with us in our reading plan, where we are reading Psalms and Proverbs together, we see how God feels about people who push against his way and against his designs. We read in Psalm chapter two, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want any of God's restrictions. In verse four, we read God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, as we're walking through this section in Proverbs here, uh, I want us to think like we're taking a hike, a a climb, and we're going, taking a climb to get to a higher understanding of of who God is. And as we do that, we want to take a break every once in a while to reflect on how we're going to respond to what we find written in here. How do we respond to the sovereignty of God that he plans, that he purposes Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is simply trust. Maybe the pandemic that we're in or the social upheaval, uh, maybe you're in a financial situation that has really unsettled you, or maybe it's a different kind of personal matter. You know, we, we come into relationship with God right from the beginning by trusting him. And we continue to walk in our relationship with God by trusting him. One of the first and, and continual responses we need to have to the sovereignty of God is to trust the one who has everything in control. We are to be at peace. Jesus spoke to, to his disciples before he left, warning them, you know, that culture, um, they would be under the fire of a culture that's hostile towards them. But he said, don't let your heart be trouble, troubled. He's got it. He's going to take care of you. So How's your anxiety meter? Where, where is it at now? Maybe, maybe you're trying to put too much stuff on yourself, trying to control what you can't control, trying to figure out what you're not meant to figure out, trying to protect yourself from something you can't protect yourself from. God's got it. We read in Romans chapter 8, a verse that's often quoted, but it's not trivial. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God plans, God purposes. He has a plan and purpose for your life. Can you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust his timing? Let's take another step. God judges in his sovereignty and evil is punished. We read in Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now we know that in creating the world, God set our world up so that it operates a certain way and he he gave us principles to live by. And when we disobey, when we rebel against those principles, we we are inevitably gonna find ourselves in a difficult place. We see that in Proverbs chapter one, when, when God speaks to those who have rejected his truth and his ways. He says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. In other words, we will reap what we sow. There's a natural recourse to rejecting God's ways. But there is a stream, you know, a segment within Christianity that wants to confine God's punishment, God's judgment, only to like the natural result of disobeying God. But we need to see as, as Proverbs 16.5 assures us, God judges and evil is punished. 
Proverbs 11 also echoes that when it says, those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. God in his sovereignty judges and evil is punished. You know, our world is crying out right now for justice. No justice, no peace. And unless your conscience has been seared, all of us have this moral compass within us that we want to see wrongs be made right. But here's the deal. Have you ever had somebody confront you because you did something wrong and and you know it? And how do you feel when, when they talk to you about it? Me, I feel defensive. And my first response is probably, who are you to judge me? See, we're not really the right ones to judge one another because you're imperfect, I'm imperfect. I don't see things perfectly, you don't see things perfectly, but God does. God sees things perfectly, he judges perfectly. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees perfectly. He can judge perfectly. Everything in the end will be made right because he does that. So how do we respond to that? Maybe you're here today and as you're watching, um, really current in your life is a situation where somebody has hurt you and offended you. And I know how it is for most of us when when somebody does that to us, our natural response is we just want to respond in a way that we get even. But God knows this eye-to-eye approach. Like it, you end up, As you try to destroy other people, you end up being destroyed yourself. He has a better way for us, and it's predicated on his sovereignty to judge. He will take care of it. Let go of it. Let it go to him. We read in Romans chapter 12, verses 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in all sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God in his sovereignty judges and evil will be punished. How do we respond? We let him take care of our offenses, and we find ourselves in worship. The fact that God judges is cause for worship, not embarrassment. So rather than being embarrassed and and trying to hide this from the character and nature of God, we should join in with the saints as we read in, in, in Revelations chapter 15 as they sang about the glory of God as he is about to pour out his wrath in judgment. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts. And those righteous acts in context are acts of judgment and wrath. They have been revealed. A right response is to find ourselves in worship to God. And a right response is also to find ourselves in careful living. We saw in our series in 1 Peter, where Peter wrote, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout this time of your exile. In the last half of Proverbs 16:6, it says, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. God judges and evil will be punished. It's cause to worship him, it's cause to live carefully. Let's take a step further. God not only plans and purposes, God judges, evil is punished. God also saves. 
You know, as creator, God made provision for his creation to, for there to be food, for there to be an atmosphere in which they can breathe. He created a situation for them to live. He's also provided for us, though, to live in relationship with God, even when we messed up. And this is what chapter 6 refers to, the provision of God. And you, you have to read this along with the judgment of God when God says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Have you ever, um, as a kid, do you, do you remember when maybe the first time you looked under a microscope? And, you know, you, you may have looked at something that looked really perfect and maybe a smooth piece of cloth or something. Then you put it under the mi- microscope and it looks rough and so imperfect. So it is with God who sees things perfectly to the ultimate degree. None of us who can stand before him, our imperfections are so brought to light. Who can stand? I'm sure the writer of this proverb had no idea the significance of what he was writing and its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Steadfast love and faithfulness was supremely demonstrated when God the Father gave his son Jesus Christ to become human, to walk in our place, to live a perfect life, and then to voluntarily, in obedience to the Father, go to the cross and die for us, shedding his blood so that he could atone for our sins. In other words, so that our guilt could be forgiven, our sins forgiven, our guilt taken care of, and we could be restored in a right relationship with God. God has saved us. What should be our response? Well, if you're watching today and you don't have a relationship with God, the very first step is simply to give over your life to him, to say, God, I want to trust you. I want to receive that gift that comes through your faithfulness and your steadfast love, that gift of forgiveness and atonement, that I can be made right with you and to to give your life over him in in dedication, a prayer of trust in him. And for the rest of us, maybe you've been a Christian a long time and How do we respond to this? Well, I think it's really interesting that in in verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 16, it talks about how after steadfast love and faithfulness takes care of iniquity, it's by the fear of the Lord a man turns from evil. You see, it's one thing to turn from, from evil and doing things wrong and wanting to live right with God because You know, we're mindful of God's judgment and that he will punish evil. It's another thing when we become so aware of the magnitude of God's love and grace and mercy for us that we turn from evil and want to live a a life that's right with God. Let me illustrate this with the story of a personal friend of mine. This couple had been on the mission field for many years, and as their children grew older, they decided to come back to Canada One of their sons in that process, um, having been raised to know and love Jesus, decided to walk a different path. He played in a rock band and got involved in the drug scene. Um, His parents never stopped loving him, praying for him, but I'm sure to them it seemed like an eternity that he had chosen to walk a different way. And then it happened. In a fall evening, um, this young man was coming back from California Uh, as part of a drug deal um, on a motorcycle. Uh, South of Bellingham on Interstate 5, he was going 90 miles an hour. Not kilometers, he was going 90 miles an hour. On that night as he was driving his motorcycle, having driven fast like that all the time, um, his steering wobbled for a brief second and instantly uh, his bike uh, lost its footing and 
and, and began to fall over and crash. He thought immediately, I'm going to die. And as the bike started to slide, his first thought was to hang on to the bike. So he grabbed onto the bike, guardrails beside him, waiting for impact, waiting for it to all be over. And I'm sure what seemed like an eternity to him, it didn't. And the bike came to a stop, and he got up, shaken, took what was left of the bike, got it to the side of the road. That night, a friend who was riding with him, who had been behind him, uh, got him to a restaurant in Bellingham around 1 a.m. in the morning. Uh, he changed his clothes, called his parents, was hoping they could come pick him up, but there was no answer. He stayed in that restaurant for a couple hours. And over that couple of hours, he began to think about what had just taken place, still the adrenaline running through his body, shaken, and he thought about how he had intended to buy crash bars for his motorcycle when he was in California. They're bars that protect the engine, so that if you do have a wipeout, they protect the engine. But he didn't have enough money to do that, so he had decided not to. Because he didn't have crash bars, when his engine when his bike fell over, there was a puncture in the engine and oil began to uh, seep out of the engine that created a slick that he slid on for 500 feet. That's right, they measured it. 500 feet. He slid on that oil slick. As he did that, the, the pavement <laughs> sort of worked through his clothing. He was wearing rain gear, worked through that. He worked through his ski suit he had underneath that. Worked through his jeans, worked through his long johns. He had one scratch on his body and a piece of gravel embedded into his leg. In that moment in the restaurant around 3 a.m., it dawned on him. God had been at work in his life sovereignly. He hadn't bought the crash bars. He'd been going 90 miles an hour and was unscathed. And there in that restaurant, having experienced the sovereign grace and love of God, he gave his life to Christ. Nobody telling him, nobody forcing him. It was the, the experience of God's overwhelming love to him. Immediately in the days to follow, this proverb talks about he turned from evil. He never did drugs again, never dealt. He immediately changed the, the direction of his life. He went to a place where he could learn more about God. He began to work for a Bible translation ministry. Eventually, he became a pastor. He pastors now, oversees church plants in different places in the world because he experienced the steadfast love and faithfulness of God as his parents experienced their prodigal son come home and they experienced the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, together united under Christ, in Christ, now to live for him for the rest of their lives with passionate devotion. You see, this is what happens. This is how we respond when we realize what God has done for us in our lives. Now, each of us are gonna have a different story and a different testimony, but each of us as adopted children of God are no less a miracle than he was. God plans, God purposes, God judges, God saves. Let's take another step. We read next in Proverbs that God also blesses. We read in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. 
Now, when we consider the magnitude of God's grace, mercy, steadfast love towards us, God doesn't owe us anything, and yet God chooses to bless us. In the Proverbs, the writer here gives an example he, that God even causes our enemies to be at peace with us. I mean, that's, that's a really difficult thing, but when God works to bless us, that's what he can do. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we want to, as a response to this blessing of God, we want to place ourselves wherever we can in those places where what we do and our motives and our actions, our activities are, are bringing uh, pleasure to God. What can you do that can mean pleasure to God? You know, I think about how when we go through a very difficult time, and maybe you're in that place right now, do you know that that is an amazing time to give pleasure to God? Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when you're in a situation where you just can't figure out what's going on, where there's so much uncertainty or so much difficulty, and you in that place choose to believe that you are still blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing, that God is still good in his sovereignty towards you, that God will come through in the end, and you choose to worship him and to continue to walk in the ways of God that are right before him, this pleases God, and God blesses because that's the kind of God that he is. Let's take one more step and go just a little bit higher in our understanding of God. God works with us. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer from the tongue is from the Lord. We also read in verse nine, the heart of, of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. As we reach this part in our, our talk here in Proverbs, we see that God uh, really zeroes in on his sovereignty and how it works. And, and within the Christian community, sovereignty is understood in different ways. And we disagree on how God exercises his sovereignty, not that God is sovereign. And so Packer and Tozer disagree. Some would, would adhere to a belief we call meticulous sovereignty, where, where God in his, his right to rule and reign causes every little detail. He wills it and he makes it happen from the weather and the wind to the food you decided to eat today to the clothes you put on, even to the choices of wicked people and the evil things that they do. But there's another way to understand sovereignty that I believe Proverbs is pointing us to here. And that is that the choices of, of human beings are real choices that they make and that without violating human will, God works together with humanity in their choices to still accomplish his plan and purposes. And so we see in these verses in Proverbs how what man does, what man's thinking, what's in his heart is laid aside by the contribution of God as God works with us. The plans of heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. How often have I been speaking just like this? And, you know, I prepare, I put in the study, and I pray, and I think, and, and I, I put it down together so that it, it makes sense, and I hope it makes sense to you. But how often as, I, as I've done that and been speaking, has the thought come to mind that I didn't prepare, I didn't plan for, and I've spoken it, and it becomes significant to other people? God at work with the thoughts of my heart. The answer from the tongue is from the Lord. We read in verse nine again, the heart of man plants his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
How many times have I been planning personally or planning with other people and we put something together like an event and, and we think we know how it's going to unfold, but things happen, they shift, or, and in the end, it, it turns out to be even better. Why is that? Because God is at work. The Lord establishes our steps as we commit everything to him. That is our response that Proverbs gives to us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit means to roll on. Roll on to God. We, we see God as the greater partner when instead of, as we plan things out, thinking about what we want, we think about what is best for God and his glory we roll our plans onto God when we saturate everything with prayer. So we try to discern what God wants, not just to have God bless what we're already thinking to do. And we commit our ways to God when we're willing to go and boldly step into the places where God has invited us into, even when they may seem difficult, scary, or uncertain. God plans. God purposes, God judges, God saves, God blesses, God works with us. That's so amazing to me. You know, companies, joint ventures, um, individuals, they'll look at each other and they'll wonder, what does that other party have to bring to the table? Is it enough? And we, we get God more than enough, a God who works with us. A God who is sovereign, who created all things, works with us to carry out his good pleasure and establish our steps. A God who's so wonderful, so beautiful, so powerful. How can we not trust him? How can we not live for him? How can we not roll all our plans over to him and walk in step with him? You know, today as I think about what's going on in the world and there's so many stories of abuses of power where people are taking their power and using it to manipulate, get what they want. And then I look at the sovereignty of God, the all-powerful ruler, king of kings, and how he handles his sovereignty to lay down his life for us so that we might live and then to partner with us so that he would be glorified and we would experience his goodness. Can you trust him for that? Are you willing to trust him in that? You'll never be disappointed. As Paul writes in Romans, whosoever puts their trust in him will never be ashamed. Are you ready to trust him for the first time? Are you ready to trust him again? I invite you to pray with me a prayer of trust. God, we just come before you today and we thank you, Lord, for what you revealed to us about yourself in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your magnificence is beyond our comprehension and understanding, that your spirit has the ability to take it, teach it to us and drive it deeper into our hearts. I pray, Lord, for an unshakable confidence in your goodness and your sovereignty in our lives so that we would be willing, Lord, to go wherever you call us to go, to step out into, you know, whatever, whatever storm where you want us to trust you, whatever situation, Lord, wherever you call us, that we'd be willing to trust you and walk into it, knowing you're going to bless us there and you will cause all things to work together for good. Lord, if we have not trusted you, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you again to be the Lord of our lives. Come in, take possession, fill us with your spirit, and enable us to live lives that are pleasing to you. I ask this in Jesus' powerful, wonderful name. Amen.